Well, good morning. Shall we pray as we begin? Father, we thank you that you have appointed your son Jesus as king over the world. And we pray now as we look at this passage that you would reveal truth, reveal yourself to each of us. That we might hear your voice. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I recall um, a few years ago um, that I had given up on prayer. I'd given up on prayer. And the reason was because I decided that it didn't really matter. It didn't really matter if I prayed or not because so many events are outside of my control that things would surely just turn out the way they were going to turn out anyway, regardless of my prayers. I decided that like Romeo in Act 3 of Romeo and Juliet, I am fortune's fool. Sometime after this, I found myself reading a book about God's providence. God's providence. And it liberated my prayer life. It completely changed my prayer life. I realised that I had given far too much weight to fate and chance than to God's sovereignty in the world. Now, I don't know if any of you connect uh, with those kinds of feelings or that way of thinking, but what I want to suggest to you uh, this morning is that fate and chance don't rule in God's world, but God does. I want to show you in this passage that the good news is that God is king. That God is in charge of our world. And I think the more we get into that, the more liberating uh, we find it for ourselves, for our prayer life, for our relationships. And today is an invitation to partner with God, to join in with what God is doing in the world, both in prayer and action. So, the story of Isaac and Rebecca. We've heard something of it today in Genesis 24. It's the Bible's greatest love story, one of the greatest love stories in the Bible. And in this story, we see God's providence. Allow me to rehearse some of the story to you, um, and I hope you'll see this. Abraham's senior servant sets out on his mission, taking with him servants, ten camels, and gifts. His destination is some 400 miles to the north. Now, for Rebecca... The evening walk to the well outside the city was probably part of her daily routine. There was no reason why this particular evening would be any different to anyone before. But of course it was. No sooner had she drawn up her water pot from the well than a stranger came up to her to ask her for a drink. Why did this stranger choose her out of all the women fetching water that day? Was it fate? 
Was it chance? Was it something else? But Rebecca's kind and generous response meant that she was willing to give water to this stranger and to his thirsty camels. Now that's a coincidence, isn't it? Because she was willing to give the man and his camels something to drink, her actions corresponded exactly to the servant's insanely bold prayer. This is an amazing story. But is it fate? Was it chance? Was it something else? Well, the servant's interpretation of what is going on was that it was tangible evidence to him that the Lord was at work. So he produces a gold ring and bracelets and gives it to Rebecca. Now, when he hands over the jewellery, Rebecca reveals her identity. She is from the one family, the one family in the area related to Abraham. No way. This must be a joke, really? Was this fate? Was this chance? Was it something else? The servant had not only found a potential wife for his master's son, but also a bed for the night. So with so many confirmations that his prayer had been given an abundant answer, the servant bowed his head and worshipped the Lord. He felt for sure that the Lord had guided him in his journey, that he had been specifically led to this place. His amazement is expressed in verse 27. He says this, As for me, the Lord has led me. As for me, the Lord has led me. It's almost as if he hasn't experienced this before. Later on, the servant tells the story of what's happened to Rebecca's family. Bethuel, Rebecca's father and Abraham's nephew, and Laban, Rebecca's brother, both conclude on hearing this story that there is nothing more that could be said about it. It's clear this was the Lord's doing. And Rebecca was able to observe all that was going on, and even though she wasn't consulted herself, she obviously was happy with this turn of events. So Rebecca was brought to Isaac, who was patiently waiting at home, and they got married. Each had found love and security, and they shared this deep understanding that God had brought them together. If they were ever tempted to doubt, they could recall the marvellous way that Abraham's servant was led straight to Rebecca, and the prayer and praise that surrounded the whole event, all of which demonstrated surely the unmistakable guidance of God. Though they had not met before, Isaac and Rebecca grew to love each other, and though they had not chosen one another, their marriage was a good one. This is surely an amazing story. What the Bible presents here, I suggest, isn't fate or chance, but God's providence. 
God's working out of his purposes in the world. Now, perhaps Isaac's special place in God's purposes means that we can't all expect um, our prayer, like the servants, might have the same result. But it does tell us that if what we pray for has a stake in God's purposes for the world, then we can certainly expect God to deliver. For God's purposes are still being fulfilled today, aren't they? Indeed, most significantly, God has come in the person of Jesus Christ, died and was risen to secure the future of the world. Fate and chance are not king. Jesus is king. So let's have a little look at this a bit closer. Um, First, let's take fate. Well, Jesus' message was the kingdom of God and that God was king. So therefore, fate is not. Now, of course, there's many areas in our lives, aren't there, over which we have little control. Which is why the concept of fate chimes with us so well on many occasions. But if our whole life, if our stories have all been pre-scripted, all pre-written, then they've got really no meaning for us. Nothing we can do can make any difference. If God is king, however, if Jesus is Lord, then we're a million miles away from pointlessness or meaningless. In fact, it means we've got a vital contribution to make. We've got free choice, the ability to act, to decide. We're not helpless victims of fate, but God's people who can make a difference in the world. Let's take chance. Now, up to a point, of course, it's true that there's no rhyme or reason to human experience. Our world is broken. There is a degree of luck in what happens to us. When a person gets cancer and another one doesn't, it's not because God wants them to get cancer. It's because the world is fallen and not as God wanted it to be. Chance has been at work. Because if we deny that luck or chance has any part in our world, then implicitly we attribute all disaster, all suffering, all death to the hand of God. And that's not the case, is it? God is good. So these things happen because of brokenness. But to acknowledge there is an element of chance of work in our world, an element of chance at work in our world, is not to accept that chance is all that is at work in our world. God is alive and working out his purposes. But those purposes are not clear or visible necessarily, are they? His purposes aren't fully achieved. This is clearly a complex area. There's still a fight to be fought, captives to be freed. But if we look forward to the day when the fight is over, when God's purposes are fully accomplished and the earth is filled with God's glory, we can see that we have a part to play. A contribution to make in the working out of God's purposes. Chance does not rule. God rules. And that means 
God can give meaning and purpose and direction to our lives as well. So what we're offered here, I suggest, in this passage and in other places in the Bible, is God's providence. That God works within the events, messy and awful and terrible, though sometimes they are, to bring about his purposes. God does not determine events, and he often detests them. But they will not thwart his purposes. Indeed, he's very good at bringing good out of bad, isn't he? One theologian said this, I found it very helpful. In providence, not everything that happens is the will of God. But the will of God will be worked out in and through everything that happens. God is going to deliver on his project. There is a goal to which God is working. And we're invited to play a part, to contribute, to make a difference. So what does this all mean practically then for our lives? Well, may I offer three quick things. First, it means that we're responsible for our lives and actions. If fate ruled, if everything that was pre-scripted, if the story was already written, we could not be held accountable for our actions, could we? If chance ruled, there would be no one to hold us accountable to. But if providence is at work, if he gives us freedom and respects that freedom, then we can and will be held to account. And our actions have dignity. They've got integrity. So if you're here today um, and you haven't uh, surrendered, submitted to Jesus, who God has appointed as king, you can. And if you do, you will enter into more freedom and life. Because when Jesus is king, we have a liberating king, rather than things that stifle us, like fate or chance. When we put our story in the, contents of, in the context of God's big story, well, that's, that's being a Christian. Second, it means prayer can make a difference. Now, this was very important for me. You know, do, does it really, do we make any difference when we gather together to pray for what's going on in the Middle East? Do we make any difference when we turn up at St Albans in the next two Fridays at 7.30 to pray for what God is doing in our multi-site church. Does it make any difference? Because if we lived in a universe governed by fate, prayer would indeed be pointless because everything would turn out the same way whether we prayed or not. And if we lived in a universe ruled by chance, then there would be no one to pray to. But if the purposes of God take account of our choices and our decisions and our actions, then prayer can make a difference. Isn't that extraordinary? God takes into account our prayers, our choices, our decisions. So what a huge encouragement to us today to take courage in prayer. The church tradition of intercessory prayer 
throughout the ages show us that we can make a difference by praying. How exciting. How helpful. Third, it means that God can guide us. This all might be very well, but but how? How? Well, five ways at least. Scripture, the Holy Spirit, reason, church, and signs. Scripture, because God has revealed his general will in the Bible. That's why regular Bible reading um, can help us, can guide us. We can meet God in it, and he can guide us in our personal journeys. The Holy Spirit has been given to help us, to lead us, to guide us. We might hear the voice of God in prayer, in a vision, in a dream, something else. Reason. John Wesley said this, that the most common way God guided him was by presenting to his mind reasons for acting in a particular way. So God can guide us by reason. The church, we've been given each other. Have a look around. These people can help guide us in community. We learn more about ourselves and we together can discern the will of God in our lives. And signs, when we're faced with a difficult decision, which all of us are from time to time or sometimes all the time, we can go to the Lord and say, Lord, help, direct us. I don't know whether this relationship is the right one or that one. I don't know if this is the right job or that one. And as we commit our way to the Lord, he has promised to act. He can shut doors and open doors. And whilst there's no formula, we have a God who is alive, who's at work in our world, who hears our prayers and can respond. I'll close with this, um, with this story, and it's a story about a woman called Kate, who attends my parent-in-law's church. And Kate had been invited to help with a charity project in Bulgaria, but she wasn't sure about going. And she ended up saying to God that she wasn't going to go unless the funds for going, £320, came through in the next two days. So she thought she was off the hook. The next day, you've guessed it, a letter arrives for a cheque for £320. She'd got a tax rebate from the inland revenue. <laughs> even God can even use the inland revenue. Now, was this fate? Was it chance? Was it providence? So she decided she would go. She went. She had a truly brilliant, life-changing time. And while she was there, she was thanking God for being able to go. And she felt that God said to her to ring up the inland revenue and say thank you. (laughs) What would you do with that? She thought, say thank you. It wasn't even a gift. It was my money. Anyway, how could you ring up a faceless organisation and really thank them? Well, the feeling wouldn't go 
away. So in the end, she rang up their main switchboard. When she got through to an operator, she explained that she was ringing up to say thank you and how the tax rebate had come through at the exact time and it was the exact amount of money and she could go to Bulgaria and help with this charity and all the impact that it had made. Needless to say, the woman at the Inland Revenue thought that she'd lost the plot completely um, and suggested there are other telephone lines that you can ring for this sort of thing. (laughs) But as Kate explained a little bit more about all that had gone on, the operator started to go quiet. And then she started to hear some sobbing. And after a little while, the operator confessed that she was going through a very, very painful divorce. And her colleague, the day before, had suggested that she pray. And she had said no. And she said no because she did not believe that God was real or even alive. And if he was, he certainly wasn't interested in her. And this phone call of course, showed her that God was deeply interested in her. In the same way that God is deeply interested in each of us. There is clearly a mystery about all this sort of thing. How God is at work in our world. It's not simple, it's not direct by any means. And it's incredibly tough, isn't it, when you think God has led you in one direction only to feel like you might have misheard or you've ended up confused and in pain. But we can find comfort and hope and vision, I believe, from our passage today that we're not ruled by chance or grace, but the liberating God who has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not fate or chance, it's providence. We're reminded that Jesus is king, that his kingdom has come and is coming. And we're invited to trust in God and play a part through prayer and action in God's purposes which are coming about. So we pray together. Father, we thank you for the good news that you have appointed your son, Jesus Christ, as king of the world. Thank you that he is king of our lives. Thank you that Jesus died and rose again to bring in your kingdom. Thank you that you're bringing your purposes about, that the future of the world is secure. Thank you that you speak in our everyday lives. I pray for any of us here today who are just feeling confused about guidance. Lord, would you reveal yourself? Would you reveal direction into our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would give us hope. I pray, Lord, you give us vision 
that we too can be used by you for your purposes to bring blessing into other people's lives whether that's in the workplace in homes wherever we might find ourselves help us Lord as we seek to listen to you for others and Lord give us this morning a sure confidence in you whether we're heading back to university starting a school term heading into a new job going back into a job we've had for years give us vision and life for all that you're calling us to we pray this in Jesus name